You are listening to the Life Reconstructed Podcast with me, Teresa Amaral Beshwaite, grief expert, best-selling author, and widow. I'm so glad you're here because in this and every episode, I shine a light on the widowed way forward. Welcome to episode 27. In this episode, life coach Indu Chatham shares how she built a strong relationship with herself after the death of her husband and how she helps others do the same. Okay, so Indu, it's so nice to have you as a guest. And I I just want to start off, if you don't mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your story. Oh, I would love to. And thank you, Teresa, for having me on this podcast. I'm very, I feel very honored to be here. But um, my name is Indu Chatham. Um, I am a coach for people who, actually, let me put it this way. I help people learn to have a relationship with themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I got to this place is because About five years ago, in 2019, my husband passed away unexpectedly. He was a a physician. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, We had three kids, all teenagers at that time. And just three months prior to that, I had started listening to Brooke's coaching podcast. And I remember for the first time feeling like, okay, whatever she's saying makes sense. Like, I can apply this to my life because I had, I had three kids within four years. So you can imagine how insane I had become just, you know, just being a mom, just being a primary caretaker of the kids. And, and I, I just know how anxious I would feel, how stressed I would feel anything that had to do with the kids. I was just on high alert, right? And because of which I, and of course, my husband being a physician was not always available to come and like help me the way I expected him to be able to help me. And it created a lot of resentment. It created a lot of like, you know, um, you don't understand what I'm going through. All of that stuff from both sides, from both sides. He would say the same thing to me. And I have to tell you, um, I thankfully had a, a spiritual advisor at that time back then who helped me at that time. And then when I started listening to the podcast, I was like, I could try using this in my life. Like it's easy enough for me to use this in my life. Yeah. And and just referencing the life coach school podcast by Brooke Castillo, who is both of our coach instructors. So in case you're wondering, thank you for clarifying that. But, um, so for three months I did use it. I used it with my husband. I used it with my kids and I saw big results like big results. And I know the day that he passed and it was, he had a heart attack while he was mountain biking. He didn't know. I mean, it just happened so instantaneously, which I'm so grateful for. Um, We weren't expecting it, but I remember what, like walking into that hospital and seeing him and then just walking out. I walked out into a courtyard and I, told myself I just remember this so clearly I told myself this is not going to break you this is not going to break you which is so not 
who I was the day before that or the years before that. And I took a decision to take control of whatever was going to happen. And I believe that those podcasts are what like, like started that process for me. And so even when I look at my life prior to March 2nd, 2019, and who I am now, the difference is that I have become my focal point, like not in a selfish way. I believe that everyone needs one stable space, a focus from which you can look out. What happened to me before was I was using other people to find that stability. I was using other people as my focus point. That keeps shifting. That keeps moving. And I realized I need to be that for me. Mm -hmm. I need to be confident. I need to be the person that I can depend on and always come back to. It's like having a GPS, right? If you don't put home in, like you, no matter where you go, you know you can always come back home. Even if you lose your way, you can come back home. Mm-hmm. I want it to be that home for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's been my journey. And I want to share that with as many people as possible. Widowed or not, your clients are. Widowed or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a it's such a powerful analogy that you use. And I think it's so important when you're widowed to understand your own relationship with yourself. Like who teaches us anything about that ever? Um, but I Indu, the the people I talk to week in and week out are kicking themselves. They should be further along. They will tell me they are the obstacle. They are still expecting a former version of themselves to finally reemerge. Um, when I th- when I think we both know, like it, death changes your spouse and you. It's 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 that catastrophic that we can't expect our former selves to show back up. Um, and yet, so many people are kicking themselves because they're not motivated. They right, they're not their former selves. So. Could you speak to that a little bit? I think it all boils down to your relationship with yourself. Um, so obviously the first year was really hard because you, you know, you're trying to navigate all of these new experiences, new um moments um without this person. So it's always going to be there's a reference point. Well, when my husband was around or if my husband was here, things would be different. And I went down that path several times and I still go there, you know, occasionally. What I did realize was that that is an illusion that we have. Because the past you had with him, yes, it happened. But the present that you're imagining with him, if he if he was here, that's not real. You do not know that it would be easier with him. You do not know that you would be happier with him going through this because I know for sure I've navigated a lot of experiences where he and I didn't agree on things. We didn't always navigate things the best way that we could. Now, we could, I mean, it's possible that it would have been amazing, but 
living under this illusion that things would somehow be different if he was here was not helping me. And so what I started doing was accepting that I was going to feel sad. I was going to feel um, even some anger, you know, uh, some uh, some helplessness because I have this I have this thought that if someone was here to help me with this, it would be easier. But then telling myself it's okay to have those emotions and those thoughts, and not being so judgmental of it, and just sitting with it. And so one of the things that I did over time, because initially I didn't know how to do it, on the days that I felt weak and helpless and hopeless, I didn't try to do many things. I didn't try to like distract myself too much. And if I did distract myself, it was with something that was like light and happy. And I know that the whole buffering and all of that stuff is probably true, but I do think it's good to take your mind off of something that's like so deeply, you know, <laughs> um, taking up all your space. Yes. So I would just tell myself today, you're just going to be sad. Today, you're probably just going to take it easy. And I would tell people in my life as well, I'm not feeling that good today. Mm -hmm. So I need that space. But then when I do that, the next morning, I'm feeling slightly better. Yeah. Yes. Because what we do, don't you see this often? We we feel down and then we feel down about feeling down and we judge the down. And, and then we go, we shouldn't be feeling down. Like I, by this time, I should be further along by now. All, so many layers of suffering on top of the pain. And what I hear you saying is you just woke up and you're like, looks like we've got pain today. Yeah. Okay. We roll with that. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it might only take 10 minutes when yes. you actually accept it and acknowledge it and say, well, I am in pain today. But what I saw was that I could be in pain this moment and then my child could walk in and say something funny and I will be able to laugh the next moment. Yes. So giving myself permission to feel any of those emotions were actually a huge deal for me. It's okay. It's, it's okay. okay to feel whatever you're feeling. Oh my goodness, your spouse died. Yeah. Right. The, the most catastrophic probably time of your life. It is absolutely okay to feel however you're feeling. Oh, I realized that I didn't have the tools that you did. I hadn't discovered any of these tools um, in 2012 when Ted, my, my late husband passed. But what I did know was that I had such a tiny fraction of energy. And I also had kind of realized that if I used that in judgment of myself, it would be gone and it might be 9am still. And then how am I going to get through the rest of the day? Um, and so I, I did learn to observe, okay, crying by 9am. This is what we've got today. I kind of learned to tell myself that so that I didn't expend that little fraction of energy and I could save it for 
what I thought were probably more important uses. But so we had a very different experience. I didn't have any of the tools for years. And you you had just had this little sampling of the tools. Amazing. But it's so fascinating that you were able to draw on that without having, you know, anybody having given you that before. Because the truth is, I wouldn't have known. No one's ever explained what it's like to feel this, you know, intense negative emotion. Yes. And to still function. I had three children who were 14, 16, and 18. Like, there was so much going on in their lives. So... Either it was just like, I can't get out of bed or I was just going to like, you know, act my way through my grief, just keep doing stuff, doing stuff. Neither was going to, you know, last very long without having bad consequences. So I realized that I have to sort of allow whatever I'm feeling. And when I feel better, like you said, using extra energy to resist the negative emotion was just draining. Like, you know, so I I agree. I think I used all of my skills and it worked. Yes. Indu, who are you today compared to the 2019 and, and prior version of Indu? Very different person. Yeah. Um, core values, the same, you know, but um, I would say the person I am today is someone who values relationships in a way that I didn't give, you know, I didn't give it as much importance before I was, I would say I was very focused on my immediate family, but I didn't put too much energy into like creating a community or I was friendly. I was extroverted, all of that, but it was all to gain something. I've always been somebody who, needed to be told that I was good, that I was smart, that I was beautiful, that I was efficient, that I'm a good mother, I'm a good wife, because that is what propped me up. And I think when this happened, I realized I can't do that anymore because one, I can't count on that. Two, I have to be confident for myself to be able to do all the things now that I have to do. And I don't know what happened. That just shifted for me actually very quickly because before he passed, I was not involved in any of our financial stuff, like nothing. I didn't know how much money we had in our bank. Um, I didn't know how much insurance he had. I didn't even know like how, like how much life insurance he had taken, you know, Um, I didn't know passwords. I didn't know any of it because not because he didn't want me to. He'd asked me several times, Indu, you really need to be like involved in this. And I I just was like, I don't understand that stuff. So I just will let him handle it. Mm -hmm. I always felt dumb when it came to financial matters, right? And then this happens. I don't know where anything is. So I remember I asking my my dad and my brothers to literally scour this room that I'm in to find anything, numbers, people who I can call. And I'm so grateful for their help, but they created a list for me. And I remember within a week, I was on the phone morning till evening with financial advisors, attorneys, like insurance companies, 
every single number I could find. And I'm like, this is, my name is Indu Chat, and my husband Gene passed away. And I have a lot of questions. You have to help me. And you know what I would say? At times, I may sound like I'm 10 years old. I will ask you questions like I'm 10 years old. Explain to me anyway. Yes. Oh, so good, Indu. Yes. I no longer was afraid of being thought of as not smart because I had a bigger purpose. And you will not believe it, Teresa. Like everything just, I don't know, there was like clarity like I had never experienced before. In the worst chapter of your life, let us just add. And I tell people I felt more powerful than I've ever felt in my life. Which is insane. It is insane. Yes. And I still feel that when you're in your own driver's seat, Mm. that feeling of power is something so different. Mm -hmm. What do you say, though, to the people who feel overwhelmed when they find themselves in their own driver's seat. You felt power, which is so interesting. What's the difference between you who felt power and people who feel overwhelmed? Overwhelm is going to happen because we have so many things going on in our lives. Yes. I felt overwhelmed a lot. Feeling overwhelmed does not exclude you from also feeling power. If you focus on the overwhelm, that's going to be the overriding emotion. If you focus on how powerful you how powerful you feel, even if it is only for a minute, that's what you're going to feel. Power is something that I don't think people understand what it feels like because no one we haven't really been taught to feel it. Mm-hmm. Power to me is feeling like I am okay with whatever happens in this moment. I can handle however this turns out. It is not I am Lord of this moment. It is not I'm bigger and better than everybody else. All it means is I'm confident. It's a quiet power. Mm. I'm confident of who I am. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of what the next thing is going to be. Amazing. And do, you know, you spoke to, I'm going to use the word outsourcing Um, sort of outsourcing your feelings to other people who would tell you you're a good mother, you're a good wife, like you're beautiful. And I always refer to that as outsourcing. And and upon Jean's death, you suddenly, almost instantly, it sounds like, realize I can't outsource. And no doubt you outsource things to your husband and he to you, like many marriages. And so suddenly you're outsourcing nothing to anyone. And I think that relates to your comment about being your own home, being your GPS equals home. Can you speak to that a little bit? That's just so profound to me that you did that in the most catastrophic moments of your life. So for me, my faith is very important. Um, And 
that helps a lot. So, but I think what happened is I actually accepted the reality of my husband's death without questioning it. A lot of people would ask me, like, have you ever asked why? And I I remember, and then at that time, I didn't really know Brooke's teachings about like, you know, you can't, you, I mean, you can't question your reality, but you'll never get an answer. But I knew that from my faith perspective. Like, I'm like, yeah, I could ask God, why did you take my husband? What am I going to, what answer am I going to get? Like, and even if I do get an answer, how do I know that I'm going to be satisfied with that answer? So I decided from the beginning that I was not going to ask why. There was grief, there was sorrow, but there was never questioning, which released a lot of energy actually for me to like work and do things that I needed to do. That was huge for me. I decided consciously that I was not going to waste my energy questioning what happened. That's not my place. And then the next thing was, if Jean is not the person that I, that I defer to, like, you know, because he's, I kind of always would check with him, whether it's like my kids or our, our life, whatever it was, I always sort of deferred to him ultimately. And if he didn't agree with me, we would argue. Like, it was always like, you have to be on the same page as I am, but I'm still going to consult you. I will consult you, but I want you to be on the same page as I am. And I've now had, I didn't have that person. So I realized I could outsource that to my parents, my in-laws, you know, <clears throat> friends. I could do that. And there were lots of people who offered in like the best of, with the best of intentions. But I, I also recognized that that, it's putting me back in the same place where I'm looking to somebody else for approval, which again feels like I am not in control, where I am not confident of the steps that I'm taking. And I don't know, I just didn't want that anymore. And I'm not sure that there was like a, a process for it. I just knew I didn't want that anymore. It's it's amazing to me, you're amazing, um, that you did all this in this horrible time of your we're life. All, um, we're all amazing. <laughs> the, what's so interesting, I think, for widowed people is maybe more, now more than ever, the people who love you, your friends, your family will not understand you. It, certainly those who haven't gone through this loss and good for them, we're, we're glad for them. Um, so in the most difficult times of a, of a widowed person's life, the people who are closest to you don't understand you. And, and so often we have to let them be wrong about us because they simply don't understand it. Just like us, we too did not understand. And unless you know, you don't know. Um, and I, I think, again, your, your sense of self, your relationship with self, your sense of your own foundation, I, I'm assuming must have helped with that. Would you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So it's something that I've worked on over the last four, I mean, almost five years. So it's gotten obviously much stronger <laughs> over time. But I think that 
it was important also for me to model that to my children. Um, I used to be someone who loved, not loved, needed to feel like I was controlling their lives in some way where so that they wouldn't do anything wrong, that they wouldn't get into trouble, that, you know, they were always on the right path. So it never was, again, from a, a, like this want to control. It was just my version of protecting them. I saw that one. So after this happened, I saw that one, I didn't have the energy or the time to be doing that for them, like all three of them in everything they were doing. So I released that to them. I said, Luke, Maya, Matthew, from now on, your success is your success. Your failure is also yours. I am not taking responsibility for it. But that means I'm not going to be micromanaging you either. You are free to do what you want to do. I'm here to help you if you need my help. And I love you and I believe in you 100%. And I realized that those words from me gave them the confidence to do whatever they needed to do. A lot of people think when you let children just take, you know, control of the reins, they run with it in a way that's not good. And that can happen. But I saw my kids excelling. They would flounder. They would, you know, fall. But I'd be like, okay, so what? Before, I couldn't say that failure was such a huge deal to me before. And so allowing failure was the thing that helped me and that helped them. So when I saw my kids on that path and actually excelling, I realized I needed to do that for myself too. Failure was always an option. Yes. And the more we can feel our own feelings, truly feel them, the more we can allow the people we love to feel theirs, right? Um, without making it a problem. We fail, they fail. And so what? Like, it occurs to me, we have felt the worst of the worst. Yeah, that's so kind of how I would look at it. I'm like, how how much worse can it be? Like, okay, you fail a test. What? Yeah. You would like, you know, it's it is nothing compared to what you experienced a few months ago. So it's like, and and I think allow giving yourself the permission to fail is actually one of the most important steps to becoming more confident of who you are. Because if you know that you are okay with failure and that you're not gonna let that define you or become your identity, you know you're going to keep going. Yes. So often the worst case scenario is how we treat ourselves on the other side of failure. And so when we, we embrace failure, welcome failure, and we guarantee that we're not going to kick ourselves on the other side of it, we take it as a lesson and we keep going, it takes all the sting out. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that's what's changed the most for me. The way that I, and I have a, an amazing coach, Sarah Fisk, 
She has been working with me, I want to say from about maybe six months after my husband passed. So my biggest problem was the way I would talk to myself. The judgment that I had that was so subtle, I couldn't even like, I couldn't catch it, you know? And because I would stress about my kids and I would take that to her and be like, oh, you know, I'm stressed about this. And she's like, I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is how you're judging that you're stressed about your kids because I was always told you worry too much. And so I thought of myself as a worrier, which was a negative thing. Mm -hmm. But then what she explained to me really made sense. She was like, why do you worry? Because I love my kids. Your brain seems to be telling you that something bad can happen if this happens. Naturally, you feel worried. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to spend all your energy stressing about the stress or worrying about the worry, you're not actually dealing with the worry itself. Yes. And so I had to really start being kind to myself when I would feel these negative emotions, right? And I have to tell you, yesterday was like a full circle moment for me. I was not feeling amazing. And my son's here, but because I've not been well, I've not been, I love hugs. Okay. I just love hugs. Ever since my husband passed, it's like, I just love on people. So I've not had a hug in like seven days. And I was craving that like comfort or something. And I was in the kitchen. I was making myself breakfast and I was, I literally like I, I embraced myself mm. and it happened naturally. And I just sort of like patted myself and I said, Indu, you're okay. You got this. I would have thought I was crazy if I had done that two years, like three years ago. Sure. Sure. And it's, it's such yeah. a great example of, of how we can treat ourselves with like, love is always the answer. And if you know the model, like what if love were in every intentional model, what would that look like? And somewhere in the model, right? Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. yeah. And so you being your own home is that, mm. is who is the one person that you for sure can count on? And so often it's not you, right? Like you don't, you don't think you can count on yourself because you're the one who is hardest on yourself. Yes. Why haven't you gotten over your husband? Like, I'm going to tell you something like two years after my, my husband, Gene passed, my son came to me, my oldest son came to me and started like, like crying and just saying, I don't understand. Why am I still upset about daddy? It's been two years already. And I was like, what? There's no time limit to like how long you're supposed to feel upset. He's like, then he said to me, he said, but you seem to be fine. Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> I am not fine. And I kind of like didn't understand where he was going with it. So I left it. And then his coach called me. He, I hired him a coach, which was one of the best things I did. But um, he, she called me and she asked me, she said, Indu, do you never like fall apart or like mm -hmm. feel upset? And I said, what are you talking about? I do that like every day. Mm -hmm. And she's like, do your kids never see it? And I'm like, 
well, I don't want to upset them. So I, they don't really see me, you know, being miserable. And she said, I beg of you. Mm. And I'm not saying this, that, that you have to do it every time. Let them in. Let mm-hmm. them see that you also struggle and that you get up after the pain. Mm-hmm. Because your son thinks that somehow you figured it all out. So he should also do that. It was such a huge lesson for me. So here you are thinking, I don't want to show my pain because I will cause their pain. And what was actually happening was your lack of showing your pain was causing him extra pain. Yes. Everybody's (laughs) well-intended here. But you know what? I have learned that's the other thing. When you make mistakes like this, I I have learned to be kind to myself even there. Before, I would have been so upset. I have learned, yeah, I'm doing the best I can. And if this is not working, then I'm willing to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead, if I'm mad at myself, it's really hard to take that next step. Yes, because curiosity and judgment are have this inverse relationship, right? When we're being curious, we can learn, and grieving is learning. If 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 we boiled it down to one word for me, I would say it's learning. Yes. Learning so many things, our new self, et cetera. But but then when we're in judgment, then curiosity isn't there. It's like a teeter-totter. And so when we are stuck, so often we are judging ourselves and if if you're hearing this and, and you say to yourself, well, it's been two years, anytime we start a sentence with our timeline, right, we're probably going to use that against ourselves. And 11 years, Teresa thinks that two years is newbie. It's like mm-hmm. you're brand I new. The same, even though it's been only five years, I'm like two years. That's like in the, you're in the thick of it, you know? I mean, I still have, I mean, I say all of these things about me being my home and being self-confident, but I'm going to tell you, there are moments where I don't feel any of it. And that's something that I think people should know. Just because you feel good and powerful and strong and, you know, joyful today doesn't mean tomorrow you're not like, you're not going to feel all these terrible (laughs) emotions that's okay. It doesn't negate what you felt yesterday. It just means you're having a human experience of all the emotions. Yes. And please don't make it mean more than it does. Just that you've gone back. Yes, a lot of people one. make it mean, oh, I've like taken five steps back. I, I thought I was going forward, but I'm falling behind now. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. So good, Indu. So true. So much of grieving from what I see is people kicking themselves, people being so unkind, unkind to themselves. And, and the answer is always love, um, I think. And it's it's loving ourselves. But many, many women have no idea how to do that. No. Yeah. And that's, that's my purpose. Like... I know, you know, how I got to this though is initially I was just like a regular, like general life coach because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to niche down because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I wasn't sure 
I think I was too new into the grief process to be a coach for widows. Um, I was like, I can't, I, I cannot talk to other widows right now. It's too hard. Right. So um, I just coached everybody. Like I was coaching men, women, older people, younger people. And across the board, what I noticed was people did not have the first idea of how to treat themselves. Or I remember a client asking me, is it okay to love myself? Am I allowed to love? And she's a very intelligent woman. This is not someone who like, mm -mm, educated, um, I mean, brilliant. She's asking me, is it okay to love myself? Because we have been taught that loving yourself is selfish. Egotistical, maybe. Egotistical. Mm. And yes, if you think you're better than everybody else, sure. But that's not what love means. Love means you see you as someone important, as someone worthy and valuable, and that you have your own back no matter what happens. There will be times that you're not happy with yourself. That's normal. But that doesn't affect ever the love you feel for yourself. Yes. Hands down. Why are we not teaching the five-year-olds? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's so my, my niece. Um, she's four. She has curly hair. I mean, you can't see it now, but I have really curly hair. I grew up with, I grew up in India. So <clears throat> we had no products for curly hair. Oh. And I remember I used to brush it out. You're not supposed to brush out curly hair. It just becomes a ball of frizz, right? <laughs> I grew up with frizzy, curly hair. And I remember relatives and, you know, like family members telling me, oh, you have really curly hair. Like as though it was like a, I'm sorry that a you deformity have curly of hair, <laughs> right? And I remember just wanting to like tape it down. Like, you know, I would put so many like bobby pins, everything I could to hide it. Sure. I hated my curly hair. I would look at all these women with the beautiful silky hair and want it so much. Until I moved to the US and found curly hair products. I mean, I still have terrible days, but like at least I now have come to appreciate my hair. My four-year-old niece, she has very curly hair, but she loves her curly hair. Mm. She tells her mom, mom, can you pull my hair back so that everyone can see my beautiful face? And then she tells her mom, can you put the, like the product in my hair so that it will be, it'll be more curly. And then she, her mom though, instead of saying, oh, you have curly hair, she says, Oh, baby, I wish that my hair was as curly as yours. I'm trying to curl it and it's not curling. And she said, you know, Ma, like, let me help you. <laughs> and she's trying to, like, do the curl for her. And she said, it's almost as good as mine. <laughs> do you see the difference? Yeah. The yeah. narrative is different. Her hair is as curly as mine. But I didn't believe what she believes when I was four years old. Yes. 
Thoughts are optional. Why aren't we teaching our kids? I do think my 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 sister-in-law does an amazing job to like, you know, make her kids really love themselves at that age. But a lot of people think that teaching them that is going to teach them indulgence, is going to mm-hmm. teach them to be selfish. We know that that's not true. Yes. So loving yes. yourself doesn't mean you don't love other people. In fact, when you love yourself, it's easier to love other people. Yes. And I've seen that in my life, like for sure. Absolutely. Being egotistical says I'm better than you and loving other people says I love me and I love you. It's Because there's so much love to go around. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And do speak to, it, it, it seems to me that so many of us, because no one teaches us, um, so many people live their lives on some sort of default mechanism mm. where we're dodging uncomfortable feelings. We're, we're afraid of, you know, you don't go for the promotion because you might feel rejected or you, you know, you don't get the degree because you might feel dumb or incapable, right? And so we, we dodge, we dodge mm-hmm. and it's sort of a default life. And, and, and that's obviously not true of everybody, but I think it's true of a lot of people. Our primitive brain is, mm-hmm. is adamant that we should not feel difficult feelings because to it, that equals potential danger. So, so we live our lives kind of on default, but for us, for people who, who know the darkest darkness, right. And, and know that horrible pain, our comparative value is so different. I, I, I lost Ted suddenly I was with him and did CPR. Um, so it started with that, but two days later I was in a second funeral home in second state in a matter of two days. And that was our wedding anniversary. And I picked a casket that day and it felt incredibly cruel at the time. But I have to say sort of more than anything, that day is my measuring stick. So I look at any other day of my life and I have to thank a widow or friend who taught me this because it didn't naturally occur to me. But he said, Teresa, you'll never have another bad day. Like he goes, work is work. That doesn't compare. Nothing compares to that day. Yeah. And and so for me, and, and this has taken time, but there's a, there's like a fearlessness. Like I am so good at feeling profoundly difficult emotion. Like what you got, what you got life. What are you going to, I mean, bring it I, frustrated. That's, I can have that for breakfast. I mean, no problem. You name it uncertain. You name it. I can yes. do it. Do you feel that? Okay. So. I have a slightly different experience with that. Um, I want to say for the first year and a half or two years, I definitely felt that fearlessness that you're talking about because it was still so fresh, like how, you know, um, it's like, what can be worse? Like what can be worse? Right. And I remember thinking, gosh, I could do so much. Like, I'm not afraid and I I could do so much. And that's when I signed up for, um, within a year, I signed up for coach certification. During COVID, we, like, my kids were home. I Like, it could have been so hard living with three teenagers, you know, in a house doing the certification, but it was amazing. Like, we had a really good experience. Um, 
And then slowly, I started noticing the fears coming back. (laughs) So that's why I'm saying mine was slightly different. I started noticing because my kids started moving away to school, like college. And suddenly it was like, if my daughter doesn't answer the phone, I'm freaking out. Now, I also have a little bit of the trauma associated with like, you know, uh, and then it was, you know, it's usually with something like that, like, you know, my kids being away or, you know, something like that. And I noticed that even the fear of not being good enough, slowly creeping back in. So having said all of this about, I'm glad you asked this question, all of this about confidence and the self and all of that, I want to also point out that this was happening on the on the flip side for me, mm-hmm. right? Where there was a little bit of self-doubt, a little bit of fear, a little bit of perfectionism. If I can't do it exactly this way, then what am I even doing? You know, it has been something that I've been working on because I have to remind myself every time. Indu, you can do this. You've done more. Yes. You've handled more. Yes. This is just your primitive brain speaking. That's what it's supposed to do. It's trying to protect you, Mm -hmm. but you don't need that protection. You've got you. You've got you. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you something that I did recently, which is a huge achievement for me. Six months ago, I signed up for ballroom lessons. I've never done ballroom. (laughs) Okay. And usually people do it with their spouses. Sure, sure. And I, a studio opened up close to me and I was like, a friend of mine was doing it like, you know, and she told me you should do it. It's really fun. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about this. I don't know about first of all, touching another man, like, you know, dancing. It's all so much, but I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I signed up for three lessons. I went for the first one. I was like, "Mm -mm, I'm not feeling this. Mm -hmm. This seems really daunting. It's I've just not moved my body like this and I'm not good at it. I'm just feeling all kinds of discomfort. Okay, this actually happened about eight months ago. So I didn't go back for two months. I had two lessons left. They kept calling me. They're like, Miss Indu, you have two more lessons. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'll come, I'll come. Didn't go back. Finally, I was like, fine, I'll just, I paid for it. I'll go back. And it was a different instructor. It was a 19-year-old boy who was a, a refugee from Ukraine who had the most cheerful spirit. He's my he's my youngest son's age, okay? Mm-hmm. The brightest personality, the most encouraging nature, and I had the most fun <laughs> that I'd ever had. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to sign up for more lessons. So now I've been dancing for six months, okay? Last week, I had my first performance. It was a dance of Viennese walls to a song that my husband used to sing to me. Oh my. And I was not emotional about it at all while we were learning the dance because I was so in my head trying to get it all perfect. But 
I was about to walk on stage and my eyes filled up yeah. and I'm like, what is happening? What's happening? I did the dance. It wasn't perfect, but I was completely okay with it. Mm. I finished it and I burst into tears mm. because it was one of the hardest, scariest, most challenging things I've ever done in my life. I had my kids come and watch me. I had my friends come and watch me. I would never have allowed that before. Mm -hmm. Amazing. But I told myself, you don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You just have to show up. Yes. That's what I mean. I was afraid. I was uncomfortable. Some of these things, I'm like, Vitaly, I cannot do this. I can't spin. I get dizzy. Mm -hmm. They didn't let me give up. <laughs> and I did it. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself. Yes. So, so my experience with fearlessness is slightly like an up and down journey for me. Mm -hmm. Yes, because you have a primitive brain. We all have a primitive brain that who, whose job is to keep us feeling not uncomfortable, feeling comfortable, which to it equals safety. But living in this world, right? We even if it had an on-off switch, we wouldn't switch it off because if we were to step onto a off a curb onto a busy street, it would be our primitive brain that would get us back to safety. So we yeah. wouldn't want to switch it off if it even had an on off switch. Yeah. We just have to be so you know mindful. I love the, I can't think of who taught me this, um, the notion of just saying to yourself, right now I feel, insert difficult feeling, and it's coming from a thought. Mm -hmm. So that your nervous system goes, <laughs> Oh, so we're not actually in danger. And you can say, no, we're not actually in danger. Oh, okay. It's okay. We're not going to die. We're just feeling uncertain because we've never done ballroom dance before. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. It's coming from a thought. It's okay. But it feels like the end of the world in that moment. <laughs> like in that moment, you're like, uh, screw everything else. This is not going to work. This is not going to happen. Like I yeah. can't do this. It's, the 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 part where I think all of the last four years have culminated in is me standing ground, like holding my ground and saying, uh-uh, I'm sorry, primitive brain. Yes. I want to do this for myself yes. because the joy that it brought to me is so incomparable to the discomfort that I was feeling before. Such a good point. Like I've been riding that high now, even through my not feeling well and all of that. Oh, you have no idea. It's just like, I did that. Yes. And I honored my husband and I, you know, and my kids were inspired. Like, you know, my friends were like, wait, we want to dance. It's just, there's something, there's something amazing when you get to the other side of that discomfort that you cannot you cannot explain until you actually feel it. Yes. The discomfort was the price you paid. It was the currency. It's the right? currency. I yeah. love that. What she, what Brooke says, discomfort is the currency you pay for your dreams, right? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So then dream. But if you don't really like, like yourself, 
you're not going to let yourself dream. So true. Or if you're saddled with guilt or regret or, or anger, and those are all perfectly normal and that there's no right or wrong or no moral high ground here, but like, that's your starting place because you're, if you're in a place of guilt and regret and anger, you're not in yet in a place to dream. So, so starting point is guilt, regret, anger. Yeah. So yeah. true. And do that was a, you know how sometimes you, you know, you've experienced a milestone moment in your journey it strikes me as a milestone moment, yeah, that performance. For sure. For sure. Like without a doubt, I actually want to make a post about it, but I haven't done yet. I've done that yet, but I definitely feel like that was crossing some sort of a threshold that was like holding me back. And I'm like, it's now I'm also, you know, I, if I can do this, I can do this. So good. That's, that's, that's also part of my belief system now. Yes. You Indu, know. tell us, tell us what's next for you. Like what, wh- who is future Indu? And also quickly, if you would tell us how folks can reach you. Okay. Um, what's coming, what's happening in my life right now is I'm coaching. Um, I do speaking engagements. I um, want to do more, I think, group coaching and maybe webinars. I haven't started doing that yet, but I still love my one-on-one coaching. That's just like, I love the connection that we have. You know, I love seeing them grow week by week. (laughs) You know, it's crazy how people change so quickly when they see what's happening in their lives, right? Um, And I have a vision for my future, which is to reach as many people as possible and to teach them how to have that loving relationship with themselves because I think one person at a time when you know how to do that for yourself it'll impact the rest of your relationships you know and that's my goal and I believe that it's going to happen and I you can find me on um, induchatham.com that's i-n-d-u-c-h-a-t-h-a-m.com or find me on Instagram or uh, Facebook and on LinkedIn. I'm on all of them. And I would, you know, I, I'd love, you know, I want to kind of like end by saying this one thing. I had a friend who's, whose friend's husband passed away and she uh, called me and she said, can I have her call you? And it had just been like two days or something. I'm like, of course, you know, so she called me and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say to her. Like, you know, and this was like a few years ago. And so she called me and she said, the first thing she asked me was, am I going to be okay? Mm -hmm. And I remember I, the thing I told her was, do you want to be okay? Great question. And her answer was, well, yes, like my kids, you know, I want to be okay for my kids. I said, I didn't ask about the kids. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be okay? And she thought about it for a few minutes. And then she said, Yes, Hmm. I want to be okay for myself. And she, this today, she's thriving. Hmm. And she says that ownership, I want to be okay, is what's helped her. Mm -hmm. Not for anybody else, but for me. Yes, And I want to offer that to all the, you know, 
women who've lost their spouses to ask yourself that question. Yes, because we we get it's tricky because we think if we're okay, then it somehow disrespects or disregards our love or our marriage or our person, right? So it can be tricky waters to say, I want to be okay. I genuinely thought if I'm not miserable, I did I obviously then didn't love him enough. So it is a deep, it seems like a, a easy question. It's not an easy question. It's not. But to me, the more I found a way to be okay, the more I did honor my spouse and our love and our relationship, like it's integrating him. Because it's almost like if you would ask your spouse, if he were here, do you prefer to see me miserable or do you like prefer to see me like functioning and thriving? If he loved you, his answer would be obviously not miserable. Yes. Yes. You wouldn't want that. No. So, yeah. And do you have sh- been shining such a beautiful light on what's possible just through your own story? And I, I love your niche. I love, I love that you're helping people love themselves because I, I mean, I think there are so many people who never learned how to do that. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I'll have um, the ways to reach Indu in the show notes and Indu, thank you so much for being here. Thank I'm so you. grateful. Thank you so much, Teresa. This was a I mean, such a pleasure. I really appreciate all the work you're doing because God knows we all need help. (laughs) It is a struggle, but there's so much at the end, like, you know, just moving through that struggle, you see so much joy. So you're doing amazing work for some amazing women out there. Mm -hmm. So thank you. It's such an honor. It's such an honor. Okay, my friend, thank you again. Take care. If you found this podcast helpful, I invite you to join Life Reconstructed, my coaching program exclusively for widowed people. It will help you step forward toward a life you will love again. Simply go to thesuddenwidowcoach.com and click work with me.